0: Welcome back, everyone, to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I am Jack Llewellyn. We've missed two weeks in a row, for which I apologize. Uh, It saddens me when I don't get a chance to do these every week. I hope somebody out there missed us the last couple of weeks. I wish I could tell you good stories. I was out doing investigations, meeting with interesting folks. Um, The truth of the matter is, is I had part one of a two-part oral surgery program and the day job that I have that allows me to do this podcast and the newsletter and other things as a hobby required my attention. And so rather than putting something together, it was a little bit haphazard. I decided to wait until I could come back and do something appropriate. So I'm back. We're going to try and put a couple of episodes in the can, as they say, and uh, hopefully we won't miss many more going forward. So now, where were we when we left off? And some of you may be saying, hell, I don't remember. That's been a couple of weeks. Well, What we were doing is we were looking at some current day issues surrounding the cartels, Mexico, the United States. You know, we'd moved on from a renewed discussion of the Cameron case and we were looking at these modern day issues. And the real point here, and the focus, is to say, if we look honestly, academically, and clearly at some of these modern day issues and current events to get a better understanding of what has happened or what is happening and why, that allows us to go back and combine that with the work we've done around the Camarena case and the deep dive investigations that we did with Mm -hmm. respect to some of the cartels. Remember, we talked about the Zetas, and BLO, and others, we put all that together, and we might actually have a history of Mexican cartels that is more comprehensive and goes beyond what we've commonly seen in TV and other places, places such as Narcos, Mexico, and differs from them both in depth and in scope. So that's the goal here. That's the thought process. We are going to talk today about guns. Guns moving from the United States into Mexico. And I'm going to try to do it in a way that's not pejorative, all right? Um, We're going to talk about gun laws in the United States a little bit, Not a lot, but a little bit. No commentary here, okay? What we're really looking at is the facts and where we are. So what do we know for sure? Or what at least are we told? We know for sure that a large number of guns move from the United States into Mexico every year, every day. A number of estimates say it could be as many as 1 million guns that cross illegally from the United States into Mexico every year. The ATF in the U S has estimated that the number of guns again, crossing illegally from the United States into Mexico is about 2000 a day, 2000 guns a day. Most, most of those guns come through the border, into border towns. Most of them come from border states. And a lot of those guns, some say a vast majority, some say a majority, but a lot of those guns come from Texas, which, as we know, has a very strong gun culture and has some of the less strict gun laws of any state in The United States. Good or bad. Just stating facts. One of the things that's interesting. Is that the Mexican Constitution. Allows for. The legal possession. Of. A firearm. Now. There are many many caveats to this. So listen to these. Legal possession is generally. Limited to one firearm. The owner must be a Mexican citizen or a foreigner with legal residency status. The firearm must be of a small caliber, and the permitted calibers are specifically defined in federal regulations. The firearm must be registered with the Army, and the firearm is not Permitted to be carried in the street. In essence, the Mexican Constitution's constitutional right of the possession of a weapon is to provide self defense within the confines of one's own home. Okay. Obviously, if we're talking law enforcement, military, and, and some others. You know, there are exceptions, but this is the general rule in Mexico. Mexico is a nation of about 130 million people. And it has, apparently, a single store that is legally permitted to sell guns. And I looked again, because I couldn't hardly believe that this is true. But apparently it is. If somebody knows other stores or knows why this is incorrect, please let me know. But apparently, the one store that's permitted to sell guns is located on a military base in Mexico City. That store sells less than 40 guns a day and is legally prohibited from advertising. Many articles also say that getting onto the military base is not as easy as one might think if you want to go just to purchase a gun. And it's not like, you know, it's a Seven Eleven that's open all the time, seven days a week. Apparently, it's hours and days of service are somewhat limited. So that kind of shows this um, interesting juxtaposition between the constitutional right and the availability of guns in the Mexican system talked about the number of guns coming across the border. And this number is important because the ATF has said, and I know these dates are a little bit dated, but the ATF has said that 70% of guns seized in Mexico in relation to criminal acts or attempted criminal acts During the period from the years 2014 to 2018, 70% of those guns had originally come from the United States. 70% of the guns used in crimes that were submitted for analysis and tracing traced back to the United States. That's why this is a significant issue. There was an interesting article that um, talked to and interviewed a Carlos Pena Ortiz, who is, or at the time of the article was, the mayor of the border town Reynosa, which is interesting because it sits again, right across the border and is about ten miles away from a Texas gun. Are legally permitted to buy guns, Pena Ortiz. The mayor, again, is quoted as saying we are having a problem with high caliber military weapons. We know that most, if not all of these high caliber weapons are coming from the United States and a significant amount are likely coming from Texas. The financial incentive to smuggle weapons into Mexico is high and purchasing them in Texas and driving a few miles is too easy. He's quoted in the article as saying that he personally has seen many uh, military-styled weapons uh, such as or weapons that are styled after AK-47s that were purchased relatively cheaply in the United States for between $500 and $1,000 that are then taken to Mexico and can be resold for three, four, or even more times that value. So there's a heavy incentive, a financial incentive, right? And what that does, if you think about it, this legal inventory of a wide variety of guns in Mexico that can legally be accessed by Texans and and visitors and this very lucrative secondary market has resulted in many Mexican border towns, including some that are the violent ones, right? Ciudad Norez. They've literally been flooded with guns. Uh, Joan Grillo, who's a uh, a reporter and author who's done a lot of work on cartels um, and drug trafficking in Mexico, great guy, by the way. Uh, if you if you see his stuff, please look at it. Um, but he wrote a book that talks about some of these issues and in his book he talks to a trafficker and he says in his book the trafficker thought gun shows in Texas were illegal because of how easy it was to get a hold of powerful firearms they enter gun shows in places like El Paso and buy firearms from alleged collectors who are selling all kinds of guns without asking for any documentation. The trafficker said, "Um, There are some people with clean records we send to El Paso or Tucson to legally buy guns or ammo in small quantities, and then we traffic them little by little. But he went on to say, The real firepower, we get it from dealers who have permits to sell military-grade weaponry, he said they also buy heavy, heavy weaponry, and that's a quote, heavy weaponry, from private security agencies or even members of the U.S. military. And this has to make sense, right? If you think about the idea that those in Mexico that would be interested in obtaining this heavy weaponry are likely to be cartels or cartel affiliates, what do they have an abundance of? Cash, right? So the idea that they could pay a, 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 you know, exorbitant amounts for this heavy weaponry and pry it from the hands through, through the money, and the financial incentive from private security agencies or even members of the U.S. military is something that we should not discount. I was going to talk a little bit about the Fast and Furious legacy and and Operation Fast and Furious, um, but I don't want to go too far into it. There is a gentleman who has a great deal of personal knowledge of the Fast and Furious operation who has written a book that will be released, I think, almost any day now, this podcast, and talk about... Operation Fast and Furious, once his book is out and I've had a chance to read it and maybe then ask him intelligent questions. So I don't want to talk about it too much. But when the issue of guns going into Mexico is discussed, almost always there is at least some discussion of Operation Fast and Furious. And in a very brief synopsis. Operation Fast and Furious was a program running basically from 2009 to 2011 where illegal gun sales were allowed to be completed and transacted. And the idea was that the guns would then move to buyers, uh To use the the colloquialism, bigger fish downstream. The problem, amongst others, was that authorities weren't able to keep track of these guns very well. And as a result, um, guns ended up in the hands of some people that shouldn't have had them. And some of those guns were also involved in the death of... Uh, a federal agent. We will talk about all of that a little bit later. One of the articles, though, that discussed this Mexican trafficking issue um, did refer to a quote and, and some issues from a former Las Vegas gun dealer by the name of Wesley Felix. And he says, in my family's case, the ATF knowingly worked with known criminals and used a confidential informant to illegally purchase many firearms without our consent or knowledge. He went on to say that his store was targeted because it sold class three weapons, including machine guns, short barreled rifles and shotguns and silencers. So one of the things that, that we know is amongst the guns that are still in Mexico some of those include guns that were allowed to be sold as part of this Operation Fast and Furious program recently there been some interesting news reports talking about gun trafficking operations one that uh, that came up recently actually occurred in July of 2022, but some of the court records only became available recently. But in July of 2022, federal agents discovered what it called a massive gun smuggling operations with ties to an unnamed Mexican cartel operating outside of a home in Southwest Arlington, that being the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex in Texas. At the home, inside a closet, atf agents found 150 empty gun boxes. Jose Carlos rivas Sarez, a Mexican citizen who lived at the home, said that he had paid more than a half dozen U.S. residents to buy guns for him. Rivas was sentenced to 30 years in prison, and in part of the plea proceedings, he admitted that he had disabled the guns, wrapped them in plastic, hid them in car tires, and then smuggled them to Mexico. The ATF special agent in charge said when federal law enforcement ramped up gun trafficking efforts in border cities, the cartels started moving north looking for straw buyers, and that includes, with particularity, uh, places within that Denver, or Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. The federal government last year um, launched a new initiative that it called Operations Southbound. Again, its goal was to disrupt the gun trafficking to Mexico. Listen to these numbers. I think this is interesting. A deputy attorney general touted the success of the operation, saying that the operation resulted in the seizure of nearly. 2,000 firearms from October 22 to March 2023, a nearly 65% increase compared to the same period the prior year. But as we already noted, ATF says as many as 2,000 guns are smuggled into Mexico every day. So rather than this being a great success, what it shows is that prior to this operation, interdiction efforts were, were resulting in virtually nothing being seized. There also is another program called Operation Without a Trace, which is a joint operation by Homeland Security Investigations and the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Service, again, designed to intercept illegal drugs headed for Mexico. They also work with ATF to investigate the financing, transportation, and communication methods of smuggling networks. Since the Operation Without a Trace was launched, there have been more than 534 investigations, the seizure of $29 million, and the interception of about 1,000 guns, Four thousand seven hundred magazines for semi-automatic and automatic weapons, and seven hundred thousand rounds of ammunition. You know, for me, it's almost like um, when you hear about the fentanyl. You'll hear a car was stopped and fentanyl was found, and there were, you know, fifty thousand pills or whatever. But it's what's striking is if that's what's being found or intercepted. Think of how much is getting through. So the problem with guns going into Mexico is very real. Now, not surprisingly, Congress has in the past made some pronouncements. A little while ago, a representative, Gregory Meeks, who was the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, said that firearms trafficking to Mexico is, quote, out of control, and he urged Congress to, quote, Move quickly to crack down on it. Obviously, that probably hasn't happened and is not likely to happen, at least any time in the short term. Um, Meeks did say neither Mexico nor the United States can solve these challenges alone, and I look forward forward to continuing working on these issues with our Senate partners and our partners in Mexico. That part, I think is very true, very appropriate. Most of these issues that we've talked about really can't be solved through the operations or activities of one nation and not the other. There has to be some coordination, some joint effort, at least at a minimum, kind of congruent intentions. Now, now, Few months ago, CBS reports did an investigation and a, a full-scale report that talked about how Americans are assisting, helping Mexican drug cartels smuggle weapons across the southern border. That included, uh, amongst other reports, talking about that um, operation that was discovered in Arlington as well as others in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and then other areas as well. But they did this whole report showing that a lot of the guns are being purchased by Americans who are then helping to get them across the border into Mexico. There had been a program called Project Thor. That is described as an interagency initiative launched in 2018 aimed at identifying and dismantling the supply chains across the U.S. that provide weapons to Mexican drug cartels. CBS News, in their investigation, said here's all these activities Americans helping get the weapons into Mexico. And by the way, we learned. Project Thor was denied funding for fiscal year 2022 by the ATF. So this comes out on the news, and some politicians got upset. So in a letter to ATF director Steve Dettelbach, Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican from Iowa, accused the Bureau of directing resources away from targeting criminal actors to focus on law-abiding gun owners and sellers instead, citing its revocation of federal firearms licenses and a proposed rule that broadens the definition of who is required to become a federal firearms licensee. (coughs) Excuse me. In the letter, Senator Grassley says, instead of encroaching on the constitutional rights of law-abiding Americans, ATF should dedicate its apparently limited resources to operations that target violent criminals and cartel firearms trafficking networks in the United States. The uh, senator, Senator Grassley, then asked the ATF for a list of all government agencies involved in Project Thor. And a description of their roles, information about the funding dedicated to the operation and why it was discontinued, and details about how ATF works with other federal law enforcement agencies and the Mexican government to share information about guns brought, sorry, about guns bought in the United States that were trafficked to cartels in Mexico. Um, six. Democratic senators introduced legislation last month that they said is aimed to curb arms trafficking from the U.S. into Mexico. The measure has a snappy title, as they all seem to. It's called the Stop Arming Cartels Act. And um, that bill is um, buried in committee and going nowhere fast. At least as of Friday, when I looked at it, if you read the newsletter the last couple of weeks, you know, and it, it probably saw it on the news. But recently, Secretary of State Blinken, Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas, and Attorney General Garland traveled to Mexico, met with their Mexican counterparts for discussions that focused primarily on drugs and the fentanyl problem, but also dealt with. Um, the illicit firearm trafficking that we've talked about. At a press conference, after one of these meetings, Attorney General Garland said, we in the United States well understand the dangers of the military-grade weapons that are being trafficked to Mexico. They are a serious danger to the United States and a serious danger to Mexico because they defend the cartels. So we'll, we will do everything in our power to stop the unlawful trafficking of weapons to the drug traffickers as part of our fight to break up every link in the chain of the drug traffickers. Uh, he then went on to highlight some of their successes, and it specifically pointed to the arrests of seven people in Texas, who were charged with um, buying more than 100 guns that were trafficked in Mexico. And he also talked about the benefits and and the successes of Operation Southbound. Secretary Mayorkas also said that Homeland Security was working with its Mexican partners and sharing a monthly report on the movement and intended movement of guns bound for Mexico in an effort to facilitate joint operations and investigations. And he said that there's a result of Operation Without a Trace, which we've talked about. um, The interdiction of firearms has risen by more than 44% in the last year, the Secretary said. As mentioned earlier, seizures of guns, seizures of narcotics are all great. The real question is how I don't think there is anything to suggest that even if interdiction is being more successful, there is a material decrease in the amount of guns that are moving from the United States into Mexico. Now, you've heard all of this talks about some of the issues, some of the successes and things. One thing that gets overlooked. All the time that I think is critical is the idea of corruption on both sides of the border. As with drugs, most guns move from the United States into Mexico by land through ports of entry primarily through ports of entry with an abundant commercial traffic, right? So you show up at eight o'clock in the morning, going across the border, there's cars, there's trucks, there's commercial vehicles, there's all kinds of things, your chance of getting hot decreased dramatically. Anecdotal evidence, as I said earlier, The plural of anecdote is not um, data, but anecdotal evidence suggests that nearly all of the confiscations occur on the U.S. side of the border. That has led many people to suggest that a couple of things are going on. One is that there is a general policy on the Mexican side of the border to not conduct heavy searches, not to otherwise look for um, illegal guns, and frankly, the same can be said for, for narcotics. Um, which, you know, do do move across the border both ways, um, just not in a trafficking sense. Some people would suggest that it makes sense that most of the interdiction occurs in the U.S. side of the border, because that's usually where it comes, right? It's just, first, it's there, they find stuff, and then the, U, the Mexican side doesn't have to look. But what that means is there's an implicit assumption that everything that could be found or would be found is being found on the U.S. side. The other thing that simply is being ignored is the idea that cartels and others in search of the weapons, in addition to paying an exorbitant price for paying a heavy markup for the weapons coming from the United States New Mexico, have more than enough ability to corrupt border agents on the Mexican side of the border. And anybody who doesn't think that is an issue, I think is burying their head in the sand. But, 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 that doesn't mean that all of the corruption is on the Mexican side of the border. Now, over the weekend, there were headlines ATF investigator accused of smuggling guns into Mexico. Hey, okay. lots of places. Borderland Beat, which I think is a great, great, great website, but Borderland Beat and others, and you read that and you go, "Oh wow, this is interesting." Well, it turns out the guy was employed by the ATF in 2017. Hey, okay? and um. His name was Jose Luis Meneses, Mexican national who worked as an investigator for ATF at the U.S. Consulate in Tijuana. He admitted buying firearm parts online and at a California gun store and trafficking them back into Mexico for profit. Um, Mexican officials said, Ahasi, you're not doing enough. To stop the flow, even amongst the people working for you. Two points here. One is, again, the headlines are so deceptive because this is in 2017. 2017. That's number one. But the idea that no one working for the US government, any agency of the US government, or the state of Texas, or the state of Arizona, or the state of California, that there are none on the U.S. side that are contributing to the problem by helping the flow of guns from the U.S. into Mexico. If you don't think that's occurring, you're also being naive. And so in addition to the things that we've discussed, both nations, both sides of the border have to take definitive steps to decrease the amount of corruption that's allowing these guns to move so freely and at such a high volume between or from the United States into Mexico. Okay. As I said earlier, we could have gone a lot longer on this if we'd want to talk about Fast and Furious, but I think for sure... Um, Having our guests talk about it will be much, much better. And I think that this gives a pretty good overview of what the issues are with guns going into Mexico from the United States. A couple of of quick points. I say this every week. If you have something that you think should be talked about or re-talked about, something that we talked about a long time ago, new things, whatever, anything you think you'd like to hear about, please let me know. I I love to hear different viewpoints and and different ideas. And I'm more than happy to look into almost anything. That's number one. Number two, sign up for the newsletter. It really is pretty damn cool. I I like it. And number three, my second book went to the publisher today. Wish me luck. Um, And we'll have more details about that as things go on i um, also going to increase the presence on YouTube, so look for that. And that, my friends, is Cartels, Conspiracies, and Cam Rainer for this week. And I will talk to you next week. Take care, all.